The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Today on CityCast Salt Lake, the true crime genre's popularity has skyrocketed. And from Under the Banner of Heaven on FX to The Cold Podcast and Murder Among the Mormons, it does feel like Utahns are often put in the crosshairs. Most recently, former crime reporter Amy Donaldson's KSL podcast, The Letter, is finding a national audience. The show debuted at number one on Apple Podcasts. The Letter tells this story. 18-year-old Zachary Snar and his friend Yvette Rodier were up Little Dell Reservoir one evening in 1996 when a 19-year-old Jorge Benvenuto shot them both. Zachary was killed and Yvette survived. It's called The Letter because the real crux of the show is what happened years later when Jorge Benvenuto wrote Zachary's mother a letter from prison that ultimately resulted in the two meeting. In making this show, Amy Donaldson had to grapple with one big question. Is there a way to produce true crime ethically? It's Monday, November 12th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Well, so let's talk about the letter because it is categorized as true crime. And I'm curious, as a reporter who has covered crime, how do you define true crime? It's a really good question. I really resisted being categorized as true crime Hmm. because I don't see it as a story about a crime. I see it as a story about people and how they, you know, rebuild or take control of their lives when something happens to it that you didn't pick. And I thought it was really thought provoking about what do we do when the cameras go away and, you know, the court story is over? Mm-hmm. I listened to a bunch of true crime, um, which I, I will say, Serial's the podcast that got me into listening to podcasts, and yeah. besides the gig show. And, you know, I I thought good journalism about crime doesn't feel like true crime. True crime, to me, feels like romance. It feels like hmm. it. we're going to tell you a story that's not real and that's just entertaining and it's just going to you know the, it's going to take you to the beach for a little bit but it's not really useful in your real life and crime journalism to me is very useful it looks at the system it looks at the people it looks at actors in the system who worked for the state how do things work how does money influence it and it asks us to ask ourselves tough questions and maybe design a better system and so good crime journalism to me is essential hmm. but now with podcasting that all entertainment to journalism is all called true crime. And you, as any journalist knows, like if you don't tell a story that's entertaining enough, even if you're doing it in print or TV or whatever, no one listens. Right. Everyone has to be entertained now. So taking someone's tragedy and essentially turning it into entertainment was really distasteful to me. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it felt 
really icky. And I discussed it a, a ton with the people involved in the podcast, the subjects of this story. And basically what I loved about doing it in a podcast format was that it became our project. What are you comfortable with? How should I address this or that? And we would solve the problems together, really the first two years of the project. Right. It feels like there is this recent obsession with crime stories, particularly of Utah, right? Like mm -hmm. Bundy, the Lafferty's, Under the Banner of Heaven. How is mm -hmm. the letter different in telling a Utah story? You know, other than it happened to people who were LDS, I guess there's an LDS thread, mm -hmm. but I think anyone could relate to what happens to the people, especially, sadly, this happens in 96 before any of the mass shootings. It's three years before Columbine, you know. And so this idea that people would be randomly shot, that seems really plausible now. It wasn't then. <laughs> it was crazy. Mm -hmm. It was out of the ordinary. And so I think people think, you know, as far as the Utah story, like, oh, it's a safe community and bad things don't happen to people. And, um, you know, I think the it's not a motivated by religion type story. But I, I think people are always fascinated with like Mormon adjacent stories when when the crime has something to do with religion, they lure their victims through that or you know what I mean? I think that in any religious setting, like that's always a compelling how you use someone's faith to take them down to, through a dark thing, right? So so that's one way it's different. I think the way it's different from other true crime is it's not a whodunit. It's not looking at the system. It's not it's not an examination of like our values in the criminal justice system. It's really about people and their relationships with each other and themselves. And and really I ask people to examine your own grief and your own resentments and your own pain, hmm. the way you lash out and the way you hold on to things. And I mean, I've, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, you know, I related to, and it's not one thing. It's every character. It's every, all these situations that I didn't anticipate being inspirational, causing people to say, wow, I, I do that. That's, I have that in my life. And that's a way that you know, I, you're never going to relate to some of the crime stories. You're not going to relate to Ted Bundy stories, right? Or, right. So, or even like the Hoffman stuff, you know, it seemed just crazy and far out there. But yeah, I think that's the way it's different is it's really much more about the interpersonal relationships of the people. And crime is just the thing that happens to them. Mm. It could be any other thing that upends people's lives in a way that they have to, you know, remake their relationships with each other, with themselves, and how you forgive people who you know, do something. And one of the really interesting discussions we've had out of this is like, what is forgiveness? Like, we all think we know what it is. But one of the things I learned really last year during the discussion with somebody was, I don't know that I really understand what that means. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and grief is such a universal language. And I think the language around crime is so interesting because it mm -hmm. feels like right now we're living in a moment where we're learning a lot about how we talk about crime and tragedy. It does feel like the energy around true crime has become kind of unruly and really unregulated. For people who are not crime journalists currently, who maybe want to make a show about a crime story, do you have advice on how to tell ethical stories about crime and punishment? Yeah, I think I think at the heart of it is why do you want to do it? Mm. Do you want to do this because it's weird and people are going to pay a lot of money to hear the story, right? Like when I found out it was number one on iTunes, I was actually at a family party and I think my boss texted me and I started to cry because I felt this overwhelmingly grateful feeling of that, 
you know, when I was talking to Sai about doing this podcast, Sai Snars, the mother of the young man who was killed, you know, we both were thinking like, well, does anyone really want to know about this? Does anyone really care? And mm-hmm. honestly, some of the best stories I've been able to tell in my life, in my career, have started with somebody saying to me, I don't really think this is a story. I don't really think this is important. Hmm. And it turns out that those are the most compelling. They're the most relatable. I have so many people who've reached out to me and say, I I never thought I would have something in common with a woman whose son was murdered. But like, I find myself saying, I do that. I feel that. If you want to make a crime, a true crime podcast or tell a true crime story, you need to ask yourself why. What is it about that story that's calling to you? Because I felt this call. I felt like this is important. I have to do this. Hmm. And I ask myself all the time, like, is this about me? Is this because I'm curious or is this my ego? Is this, I think everyone wants to hear this story and I want to be the one to tell it? Or is this something people should know? And I felt throughout this that, especially during COVID, I thought, oh, this is the worst possible time to be trying to interview people (laughs) and to trying to um, get them to open up. Everyone's so sad. Everything feels so heavy. It feels so complicated, right? Nothing was just everything was some layered with other stuff. You don't ever went to anything. You don't go on a date. You don't go to get a meal without all these other conversations, right? And so I, what I realized was that's grief. Mm. It's the only thing I can say clearly, we're all going to have. You're going to lose something in your life and you're going to feel terrible about it. And we don't talk about it. And when someone's grieving, we're like, well, okay, what are you going to do to get over it? When's that going to end? Are you still sad about losing your mother? Why would you be sad about that for the rest of your life, right? Right. Um, And so I did a ton of searching in my own life. And I've actually, I started a book on grief about six years ago, which was weird to feel like, okay, this theme keeps coming up, right? But yeah, I think, ask yourself why you're doing it. What's important about it? If there's a reason, then you go to the people who are involved and it's their story, this is not my story. This is, mm-hmm. It's my podcast about these other people. It's their story. It belongs to them. And so whatever happens, I mean, I feel even icky about like trying to make money off of their story as a journalist, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we have to pay for things. I get it. But it still feels weird to like try to sell ads and try to talk about commercializing something that is size life, is Yvette Rodier's life, you know? And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, that's, you have to go to the people and you have to, are all of them going to be happy about it? In most cases, no. In mm-hmm. this case, everyone participated. There were, George did not participate, but he wrote me letters and we talked about, you know, his concerns and it, it's, it's complicated. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. 
Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants. But the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. I think about like when I've been in moments where I'm grieving and I feel like, which as you pointed out is so enduring, one of the best advice that I ever received from someone about grief is that grief never gets smaller. Everything around it just gets bigger. And that I think about that a lot. But like in conversations in these interviews that you've got with people who are affected by this story, mm-hmm. I imagine they're long, they're winding, they're emotional. Like how mm-hmm. do you edit that? Like what do those conversations look like? How do you edit someone's story in that way? Because that feels like where the rubber meets the road. And that's got to yeah. be just the worst. You have help. Uh, Andreas Martin is the reason this is the number one podcast. I sat with people for hours, did so many interviews, so so lengthy, so meandering. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the one who kept us focused. We went over every line together. There were pretty, not not contentious, but very vigorous debates about approaches and even just words or turns of phrases we had a very similar vision for the story that helped. We wrote the first episode and I voiced some narration for it. First go around and we had a, a staff meeting and I couldn't get, I, I sat through the meeting and cried. I couldn't stop crying. Every time I tried to talk, I cried. It's plugging in to someone's grief is, it's, it's heavy. It's hard. But that's what you have to do. And honestly, that's what I'm getting better at. Instead of pretending people around me aren't sad or they didn't lose something or that, oh, my God, there's that lady whose husband died. I hope she doesn't come out and say hello to me. So I have to try to ask how things are. You know what I mean? And get in a 20 minute conversation. Like now I'm like, I wonder if I could drop something off and just let her know I care about her. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I feel more enabled to be in those spaces and be sad and and that it's not going to kill me. You know what I mean? It's going to, it just makes you more connected, more empathetic. And one of the things I've loved is hearing from other people who've had that same experience. And one of them is the friend and neighbor of Sydney. I don't know if you listened to, I think we did a, I think it's bonus episode five or six, where he said, you know, you think you know someone, you know, you, you know, they've been through a tragedy, their mom has died or their brother has been murdered. So you know it, and you're, it's not like you're actively avoiding it, but you didn't ever sit down and talk to them and connect with them in a real way. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that conversation was like, it was totally unexpected, super beautiful. And just a reminder to me, like, we're better when we 
wade into the hard stuff with each other. We're not meant to do these things alone. Yeah. Well, and critics of the true crime genre often point to re-traumatization. And mm-hmm. it feels like that is sort of the murky space. Is like, as a journalist, the lines between ethical and unethical true crime content are sort of similar to the lines between, we talk about this in journalism a lot, like informative versus exploitative news. Yeah. Is there a way to make a true crime story without re-traumatizing families and victims? Because No. no. Mm-mm. No, because I will tell you, eight years on the crime beat and covering corrections, there was not a story that I did covering a crime, whether it was car accident to a murder, to a double homicide, to a rape, that the person I wrote about, the community I covered, didn't feel the impact of that trauma again when I wrote about it. Hmm. There is no way. Like, it's you're never... I mean, you think about the worst thing that you've ever experienced. If someone wrote about it and then you had to read it or see it in the newspaper, like even if you are participating and you want to get the word out about something, it hurts. It's painful. And one of the things I was really upfront with everyone about is this is going to bring up more pain. And that that was actually George Benvenuto's concern about, um, you know, me doing the podcast. He didn't want them to go back and relive it. The reality is they're already in pain. They already have they already live with it. What I'm doing is purposefully and purposely giving people this uh, information in a way that they can use, right? Like, so you, that's again why the why matters. But I mm-hmm. will say it's not perfect. It is always painful. And Yvette Rodier is really struggling with, you know, everybody talking about this podcast, people reaching out to her. I don't know what will come of that. I try mm-hmm. to keep in touch with her and her husband and, and you know, I'm going to touch bases with them and, and, and you know, I'm going to keep in touch with these people. Mm-hmm. It's painful. There's no avoiding it. The mm-hmm. reason you do it is for what we all gain from it. And if there's nothing to be gained, we shouldn't be doing it. Right. And do you think that the gain is also deepening our public understanding of crime in general? Because I think a lot about how, like, a lot of the things you're tackling in this show, this is what gets left out of mm-hmm. general crime reporting stories, the sort of morning after print version of a story. Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about how there are Salt Lakers on TikTok talking about a serial killer on the Jordan River. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's become a fully community held story. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how that fits into true crime and like how it kind of pieces together to help us read stories from the crime desks with more compassion? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question that I don't have the answer to, honestly, because some of it depends on the consumer, right? How are you consuming crime news? Hmm. I know people who read a crime story for how it happened to them because they want to know that it can't happen to me, right? Hmm. Like, oh, well, she was running by herself. I never run alone, you know? Um, She was at the bar at 2 a.m. I never go to the bar at 2 a.m right? Like I always go with our group. We always look for ways in which crime, we're excluded from what happened. Hmm. What is happening in America, though, especially with mass shootings and sort of randomness of crime, is that lots of people who are just at the grocery store are getting caught up in this. Now there's no way you can rationalize yourself, your way out of that, right? But there's still this idea that crime is entertainment. I've listened to a few podcasts where you know, they make fun of people or they make light of something or they make jokes about stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I really struggle with it because I see some of what they're making fun of is 
the the lapses in mental health coverage in our communities, right? Mm. Um, you know, it's a there are some really tough issues that you could wade into. I, I go back to there was a crime reporter. He I ended up writing books uh, long since passed, but he used to always write about really you know hard drug drug cartels and. Um, somebody asked him one time, why do you always write about terrible things, right? <laughs> and he said, because attention must be paid. And I would say to you, those terrible things are happening whether you pay attention or not. Hmm. And what a good journalist does is holds that up to you and says, you can't look away. It's you. It's your problem. You think mass shootings are not your problem because your kids are fine. Your kids go to school with somebody who doesn't have health care coverage, whose parents are beating each other up and threatening each other with weapons and they're suicidal every single day. That kid not having access to healthcare or to a counselor is going to impact your kid. Hmm. It's going to, these are everyone's problems. And that's really what, one of the first things I recognize in this story is we're, we're all connected. There's no, that's not my problem. I don't have to worry about that in this story. Amy Donaldson, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for all you do on the podcast. I love your podcast. I'm a fan. Thanks. Thanks, Amy. One more thing before we go. I would be remiss not to mention the unexpected passing of Marcos Ortiz, At 68 years old, the veteran crime reporter and beloved Salt Laker has left us and his mark on our community. For more than 30 years, Marcos tenderly covered grieving families across Utah and gave voice to their stories. Most recently, he hosted The Justice Files on ABC. Marcos Ortiz is survived by his wife, Sandy, his daughter, Olivia, and a community that is very grateful to him and his work. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye. Bye.